I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sports Legends of the Carolinas. I'm your host, Scott Fowler, sports columnist for the Charlotte Observer. I've been a journalist in the region for three decades, and in this podcast, I seek out some of my very favorite sports legends from the Carolinas to hear about their journeys to becoming icons. Our first guest became a household name with the Charlotte Hornets, but Muggsy Bogues was known throughout the Carolinas well before he became the shortest player ever in the NBA. You know, once I got to Charlotte, I knew where I was headed to in terms of Carolina because I knew it was a collegiate-driven type of state, uh, but I didn't know about the professional aspects of it. At only five foot three, Muggsy starred at Wake Forest, became the 12th overall pick of the 1987 NBA draft, and then had a remarkable 14-year career in the NBA. He still lives in the Charlotte area today. Moxie Bogues corrals the loose ball. It was special back then. You know, Charlotte was very special. We had so much support, not only just locally, it was a regional type of support. In our conversation, I learned about how he got his famous nickname, what it felt like during those early days for the Charlotte Hornets, and why he still has pellets in his right bicep from a double-barreled shotgun. Everybody called me mother. Your person. kids, too? Well, right. my kids called me dad. Okay. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you're listening, and to consider a digital subscription to the Charlotte Observer. Muggsy Bugs, next on Sports Legends of the Carolinas. Muggsy, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, buddy. Appreciate you. There's so much to get to here, including a new autobiography you've written uh, that I've just finished, and it is fantastic. But before we do that, Muggsy, let's start with this. In researching for this interview, I came across what I thought was an amazing stat, because in the NBA at five foot three, you blocked 39. <laughs> yes, 39 shots. And one of them was a shot by seven foot New York Knicks center Patrick Ewing. So how did that ever happen? Well, I did have a 44-inch vertical because I can get up a little bit off the floor. But I would just say at the right place at the right time. You know, Patrick just happened to put the ball behind his head. He liked to fade away. And I just happened to be able to time it perfectly and get my hands on it. And then right after that, I let him know he was going to be part of my highlight film. (laughs) (laughs) I had to let him know that. I had to let him know he was going to be part of the highlight film. But seriously, out of those 39 blocks, a lot of them came below the waist you know as people go up you can knock the ball down and sometimes they count it as a steal or they count it as a block so i got a lot of blocks in that regards a 44 inch vertical so (laughs) i knew it was high i didn't know it was that high could you dunk ever were you ever ever able to do that yeah i was able to dunk the basketball i just never dunked in a game 
messing around, you know, in practice, you ball come off, you tip it in. I could easily grab a volleyball and palm it and just go up there and dunk it. But for basketball, I had to time it and uh, and get it up because I couldn't kind of control it with, the hand, with my hands. With yeah. palming it, yeah. So I mentioned the book, and it, it, it was really so good, Muggsy, and congrats on it, its publication. It brings back uh, so many memories for the reader, and I'm sure for you too. And it's called Muggsy. My life from a kid in the projects to the godfather of small ball. So what prompted you to write it? Well, just the second go round for me. You know, my first book I did was in Atlanta Giants and it was in 94. Well, gosh, I'm aging myself. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was the beginning of my career. My pops and my one of my best friends had just passed away. And when they came and approached me to do it, you know, I was all in agreement to do it. Uh, but this time around, I... Um, it, it's more of substance. I think I had a lot more opportunity to kind of live a little, but it's more of a beyond just a basketball book. You know, it's, it's about, you know, someone having a passion and you chasing it each and every day. It's about relationships. Uh, me and my wife, you know, we rekindle after being divorced for 10 years, giving back to the community, the impact that you had on some of your teammates and just, a, you know, just a heartfelt story, I believe. And I felt that, that it was time for not only just the kids, but a lot of folks in general could get a lot from this book in terms of just, as I say, finding things that they kind of relate to and especially with uh, chasing the passion and doing it and chasing it each and every day. Exactly. And you it's you write very evocatively about Baltimore and the housing projects you grew up in. There's a lot of amazing stories in there. One of them. I did not know, and I wonder if you don't mind telling it, is just that you were shot literally at age five. How did that happen? Yeah, that kind of shocked a lot of folks when I tell them that, um, you know, being at the wrong place at the wrong time. But if anybody understood our neighborhood, you know, it was a challenge not only for me to be breaking down barriers of playing on the basketball court, but just basically just going outside your door. Outside our apartment, fight had broken out. Kids took a rock and broke one of the stalls on his window. He came running out the store, went straight to his shed and grabbed his double barrel shotgun and just started shooting through the neighborhood. Fortunate enough for me, the bullet missed my head, but unfortunate, uh, the buckshot hit my legs and went all through my my arms. Still have one in my arm today that kind of keep me up a reminders. Wow, uh, I see it from. on your right uh, bicep there. Yeah, right on my bicep. That's one that's still in my arm today. Um, mm. So there was... You know, that was the, 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 the way we lived, you know, and the way we grew up. Anything can happen at any given moment. So you got to be, you know, looking over your shoulder at every given time. You, you write a lot about the people who helped you the most. And I just wonder, you know, at that time in your life, as you, as you grew up, who were the most important people in your life that, that really helped you out of out of a difficult situation? Well, of course, my mom and dad, you know, they was the most influential person in my life in terms of being my heroes, in terms of, you know, being the backbone of our families and providing. But then, you know, I had a blessing that came along. His name was Mr. Leon Howard. And Mr. Howard was the one that taught me the game of basketball and still the knowledge in me for a small guard to be able to overcome all the adversities. And to be able to climb the ladder each level, to believe that a guy of my size, they are capable of playing on any level um, with the skill set that I obtained. And him instilling that, and not only for me, the Reggie Wimps of the world, um, he gave us vision where we didn't think 
it existed. And that's mm-hmm. something that as a kid, you know, you kind of gravitate towards and believe that anything is possible and having a craft to focus on a means of being able to help you stay positive in a way where you just look at not only with the situation that you're in now, but you could look beyond and have a vision that it could be much better. And for him to instill that in us, you know, that was something that we'll never forget. He was the director of the recreation center that was more or less across the street or yeah, very he, close. Well, it was it was in our neighborhood, the recreation center. You know, recreation center played a big role back then in a lot of youth kids' lives because it was a safe haven place. It was a place where we can go and just be a kid, mm-hmm. you know, and then have to worry about anything that's going on negatively that's outside of those doors. And having that facility and those type of resources allow me to grow, allow me to be able to, you know, dream and visualize that anything is possible. This time of your life when you were growing up in Baltimore, that's where your nickname Muggsy came from. I think a lot of people don't even realize your first name is really Tyrone. Yeah, that is true, Scott. That is so true. Um, my mama named me Tyrone Curtis Bogues. And uh, of course, Muggsy has been in the national spotlight for quite some time. And people just believe that my name is Muggsy. You know, it all came when I was seven years old, growing up in the inner city. And again, a lot of kids, you know, when I used to go play on the basketball court, you know, they used to make fun of me because of my size. Um, seven years old, one day I was out there playing, um, but they still didn't pick me. Um, so I got a little creative and I got two milk crates and I cut the bottom out of each uh, milk crate and I tied it on each end of the fence. And I gathered a couple of little kids and tried to play with me. And we had some of the best milk crate basketball uh, games going on. And then, But on the bigger court, one of the kids had to leave and one of the other kids hollered, hey, you little shrimp, you want to play? So, uh, of course, they was talking to me. So that opportunity presented itself. And I went over there and played with the, the bigger kids. And, um, and the first time he put the ball on the ground, I stole it from him and laid it up. Second time he did it, stole it from him again. Then he tried to get a little more aggressive because he thought it was a fluke. And um, I faked him one way, went around and stole it from him, gave it to my teammate. And then his his team, his team, one of his players, teammates, holler, man, stop. Let's stop. This kid is out here mugging you. He is just mugging you each and every time you put the ball on the floor. <laughs> and, every, and at the same time, a show used to come on. Every Saturday, called the Bowery Boys, and one of the kids' characters' name was Muggsy. He was the smallest of the group, so he tied that character the way I played the game, and I've been Muggsy ever since I've been seven years old. Does everyone call you Muggsy? Everything. Everybody called me Muggsy. Only Your person, kids too. Well, right. my kids called me Dad. Okay. But the <laughs> yeah. only person that never called me Muggsy was my mom. She always called me Ty. But other than that, everybody else called me Muggsy. Muggsy. Wow. Uh, you know, now, let me re- make sure I remember this correctly. Your mom was 4'11". Yes. And your dad was 5'5". Five five. Dad was 5'5". Five five. So you probably weren't surprised to end up at 5'3". <laughs> no, right? When no. did you stop growing? Oh, shucks. I think I stopped growing right around my 10th grade, ninth grade year, ninth or 10th grade year. I was 5'3". From that moment on, and I never grew. <laughs> Uh, at the, from my ninth and 10th grade, I knew I wasn't going to get much taller. You know, we were the five-foot family, as I call us. <laughs> we'll be back right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. 
This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back. You played for a an extraordinary high school team. So describe, well, who it was and who was with you and what made it so special. Oh, yeah. That high school team growing up in the city, Dunbar High School team, I should say that, as you alluded to, they they said that it was probably one of the best high school teams that ever been assembled. They had myself on it, the late Reggie Lewis, who played for the Boston Celtics, uh, David Wingate, who played – 15 years in the NBA as, as well as Reggie Williams. Yes, mm-hmm. yes Reggie Williams. Then the three of us, myself, Reggie Williams, and the late Reggie Lewis, you know, we was blessed to get drafted in the same draft in 1987 in the first round. We had so much talent on the high school team. Not only did we had four NBA players, we could have had more. 15 of those kids had Division One scholarships, and that's something that's unheard of. Um, but they all give credit to Coach Wade. Because Coach Wade, he was the leader of that bunch, and he understood who we were. He was very empathetic, and uh, he knew what made us tick, where we came from. Uh, he knew how much talent we had on that team, so he made everybody accountable. We checked our egos for that door. Uh, he was a former NFL uh, player who played uh, professionally, and uh, he was un- he was very highly on character. Um, so we understood how to you know conduct ourselves in terms of on and off the court, and that was something that was very special. One of the great nicknames in sports, too, the Dunbar Poets. The right? Dunbar Poets. Named right. after a poet originally. Yeah, that right? is true. Yeah. Uh, and wasn't it, isn't it true that Reggie Lewis, that team was so talented, Reggie Lewis, the number 22 overall pick in 1987, after two after Reggie Williams went four and you went 12, he was a six-man for that team some of the time? Yeah, Reg, believe it or not, Reggie was our six-man. He never started for us. Um, he could have easily started, but him and Reggie married one another. And I think Coach Wade understood what he had. And, and everybody don't realize how to maneuver those all that talent. But when you have a, a conductor who understands it and know how to put those pieces and know how to make them operate, um, that's exactly what it did. It made Reg that first guy off the bench, and Reg came in. And he uplifted our offense, and he uplifted not only just the offense, but the, the team within itself because of his skill set and because of him and Reg. And um, we was able to manage that for two seasons and go 59-0, and 0, and uh, which was unheard of. How heavily recruited were you? I was heavily recruited. And, uh, but in, and also the way I used my recruitment was um, a lot of the coaches, a lot of uh, college coaches used to come and watch our practice. Uh, as opposed to going to the games because we used to blow everybody out. So they felt like it was more competitive uh, watching us compete in practice. And I always felt like if they come and watching somebody else, I want to make sure they talk about me leaving. And that was a means of me building my stock up. I had the likes of Seton Hall, Virginia, 
Boston University, Wake Forest, of course. Um, Georgetown just was slightly interesting to me because they he didn't go real heavy after me because he had Michael Jackson at the time and um, Reggie and David was there. Um, but my decision, I think I made the right decision uh, by going to Wake Forest. Uh, it was, uh, I think, it was a match made in heaven for me in terms of the challenges on and off the court. And not only that, it was the best conference in, I thought, in the nation. In the, in the nation in Abs- absolutely. Still is today, I think. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Look at the starting lineup. Wake Forest, the human assist. Tyrone Muggsy Bogues, the sophomore from Baltimore, will start at the point. When Bogues is in the game, he's so quick, he handles the ball so well. It makes it very difficult double teaming because he can beat it and get easy shots down at the other end. What was your very favorite game you ever played at Wake Forest? Oh, my very favorite game at Wake Forest. Um, always, I mean, I think I had quite a few, but the one that stood out the most that put me on the national stage was that my sophomore year playing against North Carolina State. And we played against the Spud Webbs and Nate McMillan. And Al McGuire actually was calling that game. Um, and Mr. McGuire, the late Al McGuire, he was – uh, he was all in all about the things that I was doing on the basketball court. Um, I had 20 points, 10 assists, and right after that game, he was talking about this kid need to be in the Hall of Fame, not even knowing that if I go to the NBA or not, he was talking about from this game alone, he should be in the Hall of Fame. And uh, talking about he, the impact that he having on this game is beyond the impact that a Patrick Ewan and a Ralph Sanson may have. This guy is five foot three taking over, so I never forget the comments that he made. Um, towards me during that game. So that probably one of the most exciting games that stands out. That's interesting you say that. You and I are the same age. We're both 57 Mm -hmm. now. And so I was watching that game, uh, I I guess maybe in my dorm, but I do remember that very distinctly. Speaking about you as if you were a basketball god, (laughs) a five foot three god. Then you became one of my favorite players. And, and of course, um, we'll get into the Charlotte Hornet days as well. But I do want to ask you, when you were drafted 12, which is an enormous accomplishment, uh, one of the first things you you have written about and talked about before is you bought your mama house. And I just wonder what it felt like when you took those keys and were able to hand those to her. Oh, it was uh, no other feeling like it. I mean, it was no other feeling like it. You've been dreaming it for so long, you know, to get to that point one day, one day to be able to provide that type of, you know, luxury to your mom and and having that opportunity to do it. I mean, it was a surreal moment. I mean, being able to see the expression on her face and the joy, not only for her, but for the, you know, my siblings. And that was just a, a moment that, again, you never forget. And I was so happy that I was able to do that. And so then you went to Washington, but that first year really didn't work out well for you. It, it didn't work out well for me, but it was uh, it was needed. It was needed for me in terms of my growth of the NBA. Um, and I'm so thankful for the Washington Bullets because, again, you know, being able to get drafted, being able to shake the commissioner's stern hand and um, put that hat on that day, the weight of the world was lifted off their shoulders. And um, here it is, you had an opportunity now to change the whole trajectory of your family. But it didn't go well the first year um, on the court. But in the way that adversity needed to happen, um, I was mentored by the late Moses Malone, 
Um, Moses taught me so much about how to conduct yourself, how to be a pro, how to, you know, stay positive, even though when the business is not going well, and meeting the likes of the Manute, late Manute Bo, who became very close to me. And uh, he and I had so many great stories together. I mean, one of them, you know, back then, all teams didn't have private planes where we used to fly commercial and we had to go to the airport. They only had eight first class seats. <laughs> and Manute and I was the youngest. So we was the two that had to go sitting in coach. And of course, he's seven six. So you can imagine the knees up to his chest. And he's sitting back there trying to tell me stories about how he killed lions with a spear. And I'm laughing, just asking him what type of lions were there, lions with no teeth in their mouth. Uh, and so <laughs> we just had so much fun. I miss him dearly. Uh, he was such a, a great guy to play with. And, and there's some famous pictures of the two of you. And uh, you'd sound like you loved Manute. And most people, I think, loved Manute that knew him. Um, but you also write in the book, I think, that you felt that the Washington occasionally used that as a gimmick. I think they did. I think um, they started to try to use men Manute as a novelty act um, because of who, the height differential. And But luckily for Manute now, we was comfortable in that own skin. And um, they was trying to, I guess, draw more fans. And once the season was over, you know, it was time to move on. My agent, David Falk, had called me and told me you know, about the ugly head of the NBA business that I was being you know, now I'm protected to the Charlotte Hornets that I was going to be part of the the expansion team. And, of course, I was devastating at the time. I was kind of pissed. But, you know, once I got to Charlotte, I knew where I was headed to in terms of Carolina by just leaving, you know, Wake Forest. So, uh, but I didn't know about the professional aspects of it because I knew it was a collegiate-driven type of state. Uh, but professionally, I didn't know what we was walking into. But, Again, that was another match made in heaven, being able to come here and team up with the guys that we was able to team up with. And, of course, the special night that we had, losing by 40, and the stand the crowd just giving us a stand ovation. The opening night, people in tuxedos and ball gowns, and, and yes. they didn't even care that y'all lost by 40. And that was a special moment. This is the most enthusiastic crowd in the NBA. They lead the league in attendance. It is a great place to play basketball. Thanks so much for listening to Sports Legends of the Carolinas. You've just heard the first half of our conversation, but there's much more to come. Shortstop was my position, but for that particular day, I had to play second base with the Gaston Rangers. I can't believe that would happen today. At least you guys are still tall. I'm nothing now, just another short guy. You got that right. That's the only thing you got right. There they are, standing up there. Right to this day. Oh, uh, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. we're in your memorabilia room and (laughs) you've got a picture of that. For that, please purchase a premium subscription to our show exclusively on Apple Podcasts. And for video of these interviews, visit charlotteobserver.com slash sportslegends. Muggsy Bogues scoring. I'm Scott Fowler, and this is Sports Legends of the Carolinas. This show is produced by Jeff Siner and Kata Stevens. And the director of audio at McClatchy is Davin Coburn. For lots more content and to continue supporting this kind of work, please visit charlotteobserver.com slash sportslegends and consider a digital subscription. Connect with me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fowler or by email at sfowler at charlotteobserver.com. 
And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please share with a friend. See you next week.